We are tonight's entertainment. You can't handle the truth. The fire rises. Pizza time. You're a wizard, Harry. So it be. You know how much I sacrifice? You think that's air you're breathing? Groovy. I don't have friends. I got family. We Services. Hi, hey, oh, oh, look geez. at us. Double jinx. You owe me a soda. Oh. Um, hey, you're looking well. We have a film podcast. We sure do. Um, you're you're looking mighty well yourself. We, we saw each other just yesterday. Yes, that was fun. And this is pretty cool, too. Um, what have you been eating? Well, Trent, um, I'll tell you what I've been eating and what I've been drinking most recently. Most recently to eat from my parents bought this like microwavable pad thai thing um where it's like in a little box and then you microwave it for a minute and a half and uh, you have like a small serving of pad thai um and it's okay i don't think it's like great but it's it like fulfills a need that you could have of a craving yeah your your <clears throat> your need for speed sure and then sophia alexis was over the house uh, friend, or current friend of the currently show. is currently the, is yes from the gone girl episode mm, two out of ten but she was feeling a little bit peckish and so um i offered her the pad thai she said sure and i took a bite out of that but to uh most recently to drink i sometimes i like to use my dad's coffee machine um to steam milk for hot chocolate so it'll it'll get a little bit of foam um, and you know, got the Swiss Miss packet, and we had some mini marshmallows. So it was a delightful drink that I also shared with Sophia Alexis. Very noble of you to share. I was trying to envision using like my sort of coffee machine to uh, steam milk, but I'm sure he has something more elaborate than like my Keurig. You know? Yes, he does. Does it have like different settings? It's like espresso, M- macchiato, it's, blah 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 blah. It's a seven. I mean, at the time, which was probably like. 2011 2012 something like that is a 700 dollar coffee machine and my mother was very mad that he bought it because she was like this is expensive um back in back in 2013 even yeah and um she was like you're not going to use this you buy new stuff and then you don't use it and to his credit he's used it now for like 10 years so it better be able to steam milk. Um, yeah, it's like every dad when they buy a pizza oven, it's hard to like make but enough he, but, pizza. You know? But my but, dad has made use of his pizza oven. Too, no, so yeah, I know. Yeah, that's classic. Um, that's classic. Um, oh, Trent, what have you been eating? <coughs> I was Barth. I was just about to ask. Trent, what hey. have you been eating? Oh, hey, hey, Barth. <coughs> cool to see you. Um, I my meal also had to do with my family and with that being said I made a turkey reuben um with inspired by my father because I saw him eat one and then I went to the grocery store and bought all the ingredients and I've been grinding on the turkey reubens so you Mm. here's what you do person at home you go to the store you buy um just like some turkey breast and like some cheddar cheese and some rye bread sure and and some sauerkraut. That's like the secret ingredient. And then you're going to, um, and you're also going to need Russian dressing, but we'll get to that later. That's just mayonnaise and ketchup. And then, uh, you heat up the, the, the turkey, put the cheese on it, put the sauerkraut in the pan, toast the bread, blah, blah, blah on the, uh, yes, the Russian dressing on the, uh, on the bread, bada bing, bada boom. 
It's delicious. Maybe have a pickle or some applesauce on the side. Um, It's like a hearty American meal, which as a 23-year-old, I feel like I I get very few of. I feel like a lot of my meals are like Mm. frozen pizza. So fair enough. Yeah, sorry. I yeah, I talked for a while, but let's talk about no. But Trent, that 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 sounded delicious, and what's even more delicious is this fucking interview. Well, it's it's the intro, but yeah. No, different. Yeah, we're not even there yet. I'm coming home again. Welcome back to Craft Services, where we talk about the movies. Each week we talk about a film, and hopefully you have a crew member of that film to talk with us about their experience working on the picture. This week, Trent, I want to make sure we've got the right person. Fuck. Oh, wait, I'm trying to... Wait, was it Xavier Kirshner the Was it the cinematographer of, like, Past Lives? Yes. And wait, what was it like a two part extravaganza? It was like super fun, and he was like super nice and informative. And this is like the back half grand finale, like what we've been building towards since last week. Is that it? Is that Trent? That is exactly what the audience has in store for themselves. And Trent, um, I believe in this recording, you can hear a sort of uh, pry for a job. I think that was off the air. I mean, no, you just pretty, edited it, or maybe. No, I haven't edited it yet, so maybe maybe it is. But I, I think I tastefully waited until after we stopped recording to... Uh, I mean, because what we did talk about in this interview, I believe, was the potential for a Past Lives sequel. Won't give away too much, and we joked about it being called... It's not a Past Lives sequel. It's just... No, no. Yeah, but we joked about it calling it After Death. I Future believe. Deaths. Future Death. Thank you, Parth. Um, and then, uh, just for the fans at home, we were like, hey... You making if a you're movie shooting in, in New NY- York. You yeah. making a movie in NYC this summer? It sounds pretty cool. Parth and I are two able-bodied young people, young let strapping us- boys. You were like, let us know, and he was like, I respect your hustle, and we were like, thank you for tolerating us for an hour because you're super cool and fun and professional and great. And his wife, as we said, was like about to have a child. So even furthermore, we appreciate his time. Yes. During during uh, these pressing times. This is all well said, Trent, and may I say, I think this interview is well said, well well done, and just like a like a good time all around. Yeah, definitely on his behalf. I mean, you haven't edited it yet, but you think you'll have to ring the Bozo bell at all? Trent, you think- there's not an episode I've edited thus far that shouldn't require the Bozo bell, you know what I mean? I I like I like to think I do the heavy lifting in that department, but you've, you've <laughs> certainly... You've no, I, I, I contribute my fair share, Trent. Yeah, um, I haven't done one of my famous. Um, sometimes, for any longtime listener, I can be in an interview and I try to like ask a question on the fly, and I'll be like, "So you, in that, in that, then." I guess what I mean is, and I guess no, no, no. Going back to my question before, but what I was saying, no, no, no. But like, it's about like the look, like the cinematography look, like. Like no, and like it's like it, handheld, but like not no, in the sense that like no, but the it's tripod. in like that last scene before the end, right. and then it's like yeah. that one handheld shot. Yes, yeah, so I haven't. I'd like to think I haven't done one of those in like a few months. No, Trent, I think that that hasn't been done. 
I, I mean, not to call you out, but I think the Bottoms interview, or sorry, the, um, the, yeah. Oh, no, it is Bottoms. It is Bottoms. Sorry. Oh, was it? I was thinking yeah. it was our other, um, Shiva Baby? Yeah, I was thinking it was Shiva Well, Baby. Shiva Baby was, like, to me, the iconic one, <laughs> because I remember in the moment being like, Trent, you just gotta stop talking. <laughs> Like, it's not going to make sense. I know where this train is going, and it's nowhere fast. And that was our Shiva Baby interview with Maria Rushi. Yes, um, if anyone's curious and wants to, any eagle-eared listeners want to go try to find it. And um, we had we were lucky enough to have Maria Rushi on uh, again for Bottoms. Yeah, what a treat, both of those films. And then the same thing happened. And I was like, is Maria Rushi like a curse to you? To like, you will like lose... Like, you'll be so entranced by the beauty of her work mm, that... That's certainly um, possible. I like both those movies a lot. That um, your your ability to ask a question, a coherent question, sort of, yeah. Do you think through the power of editing, you, like, made it much, like, less... Much worse. Much worse. Really? Far, I was going to ask if you thought if you maybe made it better. No, 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 no. You I, enhanced I, I like I like when I sound better. I'm insecure in that way, and that's um, why you bought an eight hundred dollar microphone setup, and mine is still. That's why I sound less fucking good than Parth right now. But yeah, so as if there wasn't enough of an imbalance, now it's like really no, the, I, the, the I, writing's I, on the wall, people. The, the, the honest to god truth is, I did try to edit it down to make it less bad, but mm. there's only so much that one that a do. human person can do. Yeah. But. Let me just say, one person that did not does not require the Bozo Bell is Shabia Kirchner. Exactly. Part two of this interview. Let's get this shit back on track. Yep. And, uh, folks, enjoy. So, uh, you talked a little bit about the fact that you guys shot in South Korea, I guess. Um... Can you talk about uh, sort of doing location shooting there and um, what just like what it was like being there? A completely different kettle of fish than shooting in <laughs> in New York. You sure. know? Like New York is like a crazy place to shoot. There's so many rules. The city is like you can't pull a fast one on the city. You know what I mean? Like that city will will let you know. Yeah, it really gets you. And so we were like. You know, we made it through New York first, you know, wrapped that up and then went to Korea. And it was like the system over there is is pretty amazing. But it's like, you know, we wanted that opening shot was like a crane across a street and it was like sort of jibbing down. But like you can't lock off roads in Korea, you know, so you just have like an army of PAs just like standing in front of traffic and you hold traffic as long as possible until you can't anymore. And then you have like a grip team that works like, you know, formula one pit crew that just pull the track up, let the cars through and drop it back down before you can, before you can really even think about what just happened. It was a really amazing contrast. Um, and it was like, it's a perfect way to sort of, um, wrap that wrap the shoot up in korea and then we were also like you know by that point we were a pretty well-oiled machine a lot of the crew came 
a lot of department heads came with us and camera team came with us and um Celine was like you know had worked with the children um in the states well at least young Nora and we kind of knew the whole story and what we got and the language was so set that when we went to Korea we like you know it was it was pretty it was pretty quick and then we were shipping all the film out to New York because there was nowhere to get the film developed because um, it was COVID and we couldn't get it over to Japan. So we had to ship it back to New York. And those turnarounds for dailies were like, you know, three days or four days until we saw what we got, you know. So it was just like a lot of trust and a lot of um, a lot of confidence from Celine in terms of uh, just what we had in the can, you know. And with and there was a lot of sleepless nights on my end because I just wasn't seeing what we were getting, you know, and hoping that it was all exposed and the labs were good and it was all in focus, which it was, you know, everything was great. And could you talk about sort of, I guess, I didn't realize that the New York stuff was shot prior to the other stuff, but um, uh, the scene where Haesung and Nora meet again in New York for the first time and sort of if you could talk about just because it's such an important move, moment in the movie and mm. uh, how you guys approached that scene. The one in uh, Madison Square Park, yeah, the yeah, that by the one. pond, yeah, yo, like we when we were prepping that, that was in the script that was supposed to be an under. I won't drop the name of the museum because you know we kind of got shafted, but it was supposed to be a a pretty prominent museum in New York, um, and uh, so so we couldn't end up shooting there. Um, but it had, it had the statues, it had the things that we needed to frame, to frame against. And so we went on like a, a wild hunt and our location manager found, um, something pretty great in the, in, in the Madison Square Park, the statue in the back, which had the two people facing away from each other. And it was pretty damn close to what was written. Um, and also the reflection in the ponds and, you know, all of that was, Again, another thematic thing that we had been bringing throughout the script, the, the film was looking at these characters through uh, elemental reflections, and um, yeah, it was it was it was just something that was uh, it was a pretty again like something pretty simple, and we we in in that moment we wanted to feel um, there was this this film that Coriated did called Distance. And there's a scene in that film where he, there's like a group of people sitting around a table and he sort of, the camera just drifts between one uh, one person to another person. But the context of the scene is completely different, but we really liked the feeling that that gave when we applied it to this scene. And moving from being like a, a, on a longer lens and observing this thing happened as if you were a person sitting across the park looking at these two people meet for a first time was was something that we were doing and you know you would without really cutting you would pan from one person to another person you would you would see them and their reaction and you would start to like wonder what was happening to the other person and like you would in real life just look back across and it was a lot of that sort of like subtle back and forth to try and 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 build tension and um you know awkwardness and a little bit of voyeurism in there as well 
so that was like the big that was a big approach to that but again it was like one of those things where like the plan was was x it didn't work out and the y solution i think is way better than i love that location ever provided you know and it was like you know again it was like another thing where it's like do we like how much um geographical scope do we want to give to the film versus how much emotional scope do we want to give to the film and i think that there's like a a balance between the two where it's like you know we just had to like try and figure out like if we went too big if we kept on getting big empty wide shots of the city all the time then like would that take away from the sort of vacuum that this relationship exists within you know what i mean like and so that was always something that we were fighting against because it's like well we're out here in this park but we're just facing a statue like behind us there's like you know the flat iron tower or whatever was in the background. Like all of this looks amazing. I'm in Maya Angelou sculpture over there. Like there's people and, but it was the wrong thing to do. So we would, you know, we would have to sort of like, you know, cuff ourselves to what we set out to do. And this is where the story just is. The story is King. And and you just got to sort of honor that and follow that as, as much as, uh, as tempting as it is to get the cool stuff. Um, were there any other sort of uh, location, not compromises, but things that didn't uh, that you had to change your your plan A to a plan B that you think that the plan B uh, ended up working just as well? Um, besides, like museum to park. Yeah, there was so there was this whole scene in Dumbo, right? You know where uh, they go after they they first meet um and that whole sequence is like they're on the train and then they get off the train and then they walk through the park and they're having a conversation all the way until they reach jane's carousel and then they sit at jane's carousel and and you know have this really sort of intimate intense moment well that whole scene the sort of logic of that scene was that we wanted to to uh get closer to them as that conversation got more and more intimate and so we started big and wide and super deep stop you know like f16 or something like that and we like we did all we did that then we cut we had like a long tracking shot across jane's to the edge uh of the carousel where they were leaning over looking at the city and then the final moment where they go and sit in front of the carousel that whole shot was supposed to be you know, we had the techno crane rigged up and it was supposed to be like a slow 180 as that conversation was happening around them. And by the end of it, you would like end behind them and the sun was like setting behind the building. Right. Like that was the plan. And we had like gone there, like, I don't know, 10 times and rehearsed it. And on the day we made it to that shot where they sat in front of the carousel and the techno crane just crapped out and nobody could figure out how to make it. You know, it was just like a, a, a complete technical error and the light was setting and basically we didn't even have time to take it off the head and put it onto a tripod. It just went and just held the head in place while that conversation happened. And it was like the thing was like slowly drifting, you know, throughout the shot. But it was absolutely heartbreaking at the time that that happened because we had put so much emphasis onto onto that shot in that moment 
And, you know, I was like tears afterwards and I was devastated and, you know, but then I see that I see the film cut together and I see how sort of important that moment is that we did, that we don't move at all. And the thing that's spinning, the thing that's moving between them in an anti-clockwise fashion is the carousel in the background. And that sort of hypnotic, you know, unwinding of time and the symbolism that that ends up taking on is so much more powerful than, you know, a fancy crane move around them, you know? And I'm just so grateful that the fucking technology crapped out, you know what I mean? Because it would have been something completely different. And that's become, you know, one of my most favorite images of the film and one of the most sort of like... uh, Came the poster. Um, Yeah. Yeah, it's like one of the most, yeah, it's like the the image of the movie, in my opinion, you know. And so, again, it was just like, there's a certain point where you you plan, you plan, you plan. And then you just got to listen to what the film wants to be. It's like telling you when you're shooting it what it wants to be, you know what I mean? And it's like a constant, like making a movie is is like... You know, you're just trying to keep it alive. It's like on a deathbed and you've got defibrillators and you're like constantly like shocking it back to life because it doesn't want to exist. Right. Like I feel like that's just like what making movies. That's the challenge of like making a film. Right. And so but there are certain points where you just kind of have to just ease up on the on, on the fight and listen to what it wants to be and react to that and embrace that and then like that moment can inform so many other moments in the film as we're shooting you know um yeah which is which is like which is great you know like i remember while we were while we were shot listing the movie we spoke about you know that last scene in the film that walk from the apartment to the Uber and back to the apartment. And before we had really gotten into, you know, left to right camera movement to be a representation of time, I just, I had asked Celine, I was like, well, you know, what direction do you think they should walk? And she was like, oh, oh, they should move right to left and then drop him off in the past and then move from left to right back to her future and walk up some stairs and that moment was like a eureka moment and that informed the rest of the movie on how we moved the camera you know and it was just like through that exploration it just yeah just like a kind of like not even like a throwaway comment but just like a very simple question that was like i don't even know if i consciously asked her it was just like oh yeah what, what direction should she walk and that just informed how the camera moved for the rest of the movie so stuff like that is like really amazing when you see it put together and it's all working, you know. Um, just I mean, not, not since you brought it up, um, that sort of ending sequence of her dropping him off or and then coming back, just like could you? How many times did you shoot that? Because that's like one of my favorite moments of twenty twenty three in film. <laughs> well, man. Let me tell you, that was like Friday night, East Village, you know, East First. I'm sure there was no noise. It was chaos. It was chaos on that street. (laughs) To the right and to the left of that 150 foot of track were like (laughs) 
wasted college students being held off by PAs, you know, and these actors have to act as if it's like, you know, 5 a.m. or, you know, and um, I, th- I, th- I think we ended up getting like four or five takes, you know, it was, um, it was like one of those scenes where we didn't fully, you know, it was we had to get all of the sort of like store owners to agree and homeowners to agree to let us, you know, light and that staircase going up to the final apartment was something that came together super last minute. Our location, I think it was like on the day of shooting, we didn't even know if we could use that staircase. And then Joe, our location manager, like worked a miracle and ended up like getting the lady to use her stoop but we kind of just went in with a hope and a prayer that this whole thing was going to work. You know, it was like an impossibility. Like the city was like trying to make that scene not happen. And it was, uh, yeah, it was one of those moments where like when we wrapped at 4am, you know, we, the whole crew stayed and stood on that corner and drank bear and ate fried chicken until like nine o'clock in the morning, just celebrating that monumental victory, you know, like the success. Cause that wasn't supposed to happen. It was like, we kind of went into that day being like, I don't even know if this is going to be possible, but so was like, the film dies on this, hill, lives and dies on this hill, you know, like we have to, to figure it out. And, and we did, but it was really, yeah, it was like 150 foot of track and, um, we had like, a Andrew Hubbard, our gaffer had, had lit all the individual stores and through practicals. And we had like a, a crane on one end of the street with a big light source over the top and tracer lights, picking them out as they walk, they walk into hot spots and dark spots and stuff. And, um, yeah, it was, it was, it was really it was something special, but it was exactly the thing that we had planned it to be. You know, it was, and that's like such a huge testament to Celine, who had the confidence to play that all out in a, in a sequence like that. You know, at one point, I thought that she was like, she was like, I don't even think we need coverage by the car, <laughs> and I was like, oh my god! But then she was like, no, 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 this is, this is, I'm just, I'm just messing around with you. Of course, we need coverage by the car, um, but it was just, yeah, it was great. It was, it was amazing. Just like another, it's like a testament to her, um, just to her as a filmmaker and her surety. And, um, yeah. Um, I guess the last, um, past lives related thing I wanted to ask was just, um, I heard that the actors for Sung and Arthur were, did not meet until like they met for the first time on camera. <coughs> yeah. And... They met for the first time in that scene. What was, and is the take that we see in the movie, that's the one where they meet for real? That's the one. Yeah. Uh, what was it like coordinating that? Um, I mean, yeah, just if you could talk about that. Yeah, I mean, that was, I mean, it was, again, camera-wise, lighting-wise, it was a very simple thing on our end. It was more so just like um, sort of like the, the lead-up to that. This, You know, you hear about you know, filmmakers using reality 
in 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 advantage of their film and i was i just i was kind of unsure like what it was you know how, how that was going to go down but again like another another testament to celine just sticking to her guns and holding out and um they're both like fantastic actors but that first take is uh yes yeah, is, is is the best is the one she she did the same she did the same thing with the hug in Madison Square Park you know she didn't let um Hesung and or Greta and Teo touch each other you know they always had to keep a distance when on set or passing each other they weren't allowed to to interact um physically you know no hugs no handshakes no nothing and so the first time you see that happen on camera is the first time that that happened in real life you know uh, another film you worked on that we wanted to ask about was uh, Small Small Axe with Steve McQueen. If mm-hmm. there's just any sort of rapid fire thing you could talk about uh, having worked on that project. Um, yeah, I mean, it was that I don't think there's anything rapid fire about talking about that project. There's, it was like, you know, it was five different films and, um, you know, I that was like uh, uh, I was gifted an opportunity by Steve to be able to you know uh, as a as a West Indian to to help bring those stories to life Um, and it was yeah it was life-changing it was like an absolute life-changing experience to be able to work with someone like Steve and to work with someone like Steve on something that feels uh, completely tied into your ancestry you know was uh, was that one but again like another sort of speaking on you know like what Celine was doing with the actors and the structure of the schedule to be able to accommodate things like not seeing each other or not touching each other and the response to the filmmaking response to that being what you see on on the screen Small Axe was very similar in that sense of how we ended up shooting that um, stru- like structurally, so we shot Mangrove first, and we shot I don't know for like six weeks or however long on that film. And the way that we we structured it, it was like you would prep, shoot, break, prep, shoot, break, prep, shoot, break, and um, yeah, we shot Mangrove, and it was like that was like a really intense, very heavy material. Um, because, you know, we were dealing with real people and real lives and it was very sensitive. And Lover's Rock was the one that we did right after that schedule-wise. And that was like six days, virtually no prep in a house. And the response to what you see in that film is... uh, What you see in that film is a response to our, our sort of experience on shooting Mangrove. It was that release, you know, and... That I thought was really magical. It's like one of those films that I could never go and recreate, you know, to be like, go and make this film again. There's no blueprint to it. There's no, it was just energy and uh, yeah, the right place at the right time in response to the right thing. And it was a complete release, you know. I barely like remember shooting that that particular film because it was so, you know, spiritual in a way. Are you working on anything right now that you can sort of talk about or anything that's going to come out um, that you'd like to talk about? 
No, I haven't. I haven't actually worked on anything since past lives. So that was my last. That was like two years ago, and I've just kind of been, you know, doing other things, and um, you know, I'm about to to enter fatherhood, which is a whole other project. Oh, very exciting! Itself. Congratulations! Yeah. Thank you. Any day now, you know. Mm-hmm. I was like half expecting someone to burst in the door here and be like, "All right, it's time." Yeah, we um, make podcast history. That'd be a good <laughs> a good ending to the yeah. episode. Yeah, yeah, I <laughs> know. Yeah, but it 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 uh, yeah. But uh, the next thing this year, uh, aside from from family, is um, I'm jumping on Celine's new film. So, oh, yeah, we've is started it past lives too. Yeah, future deaths. Future life. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. No. Uh, yeah, I can't really speak much about it, but um, you know, it's another New York story, and so I'll be heading heading to New York, uh, you know, in a few months, and we've started prepping already, and you know, it's this exact same team as past lives, and it just feels like a really blessed reunion. You know, I'm just very grateful that we met, and I think. You know, one of the biggest compliments you can get as a collaborator is to be asked back. Mm. And, um, you know, that's that's the case this time around. So I'm, I'm super happy. And, yeah, we're awesome. just chipping away. Parth, do you think it's time for the Bekahuna final question? Yeah, I think it's time. Okay, so our Bekahuna final question that we like to ask all of our guests, and it's not as challenging as it may sound is um, what is the last great film that you watched? And it can't just be good. It has to be great. Wow. The last great film that I watched. Oh, man. That's that's crazy. That's a crazy question. Um, that's why it's the big kahuna. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it can't be good. It, can't, it has to be great. I think I just recently um, re-watched Ensemble. And I just like, do you know that film? Denny Is that Villeneuve? the, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I haven't yeah. seen it, but I know of the movie. Yeah. I, I mean, without, without sort of giving too much away, I just think it's like, it's like, for me, like a master class in storytelling and like just such an amazing thriller and, um, yeah, I can't like, it, it's hard to talk about the film without, spoiling it sullying it but that was the last one that i had seen i'd seen it like many times before that but it's it's definitely one of the films like i revisit from time to time just to be like Mm. god damn this guy knows how to tell stories um yeah and i I just i rewatched a a taipei story the other day and that's have you seen that edward yang no yeah that's another powerhouse edward yang just knows so much about people it's unreal um and his universality of of family storytelling is amazing so that was that was truly yeah a good film too great great film yeah yeah it better be great (laughs) awesome um trent you mind if i close this out close this out parth yeah, uh, thank you so much, Xavier Kirchner, for coming on the show. Uh, he's the cinematographer for Celine Song's Past Lives. Thank you very much for having me. Hey, Parth. Hey. How's it going, bro? Uh, it's pretty good, bro.
Yeah, Yo, you doing? You been doing good? Yeah, yeah. Yo, good. How's the family? Good. Want to drink a beer? I already got one. Oh, I drank four already. So, um, before you drove over here. Yep. Well, that- while I drove over here. Drinking well, while driving is not funny, guys. That was a skit. But um, how about warning people? In uh, it's Super Bowl Sunday tomorrow, and you might think that drinking. Well, Super Bowl dro- Sunday today, uh, the day of the episode. Bah, 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 bah. So we've got ten dollars on the Forty ers guys. So think good thoughts. Um, that's that's just to try to keep the game interesting. Yeah. Um. <clears throat> what an interview. Yeah, no, like, I learned a lot, I felt a lot, um, mm. I, like, feel more in touch with myself, with Mother Earth. You're always touching yourself, I've heard. Yeah, I'm touching myself on Mother Earth, and the person who I feel most in touch with right now is not only the listening audience at home, but it's cinematographer of past lives, Shabier Kirshner. Um, uh, I'm sure he's very happy to have been referred to in that context. In that sentence, yeah. Um, But yes, thank you so much, Shabia Kirshner, for coming on the show. It was an interview that was a long time coming, Past Lives, one of my favorite movies um, of last year, and uh, really can't thank him enough for coming on the show. We'll see you at the Oscars, baby. We're going to Disney World! Woo! Yeah. Is that? No, it's the Super Bowl. Yeah, I mean, well, it's okay. Um, but Trent, Barth. cinematographers are cool. Oh. Cinematographers are great, even. Yeah, I like them. We've had a few over the years. But, like, if, like, every cinematographer, like, you make a bad shot every now and then. And if, like, someone doesn't cut that stuff out of the movie. Then what are you doing? What do you, like, well, you're just, like, not. it's not going to look good. You're going to look like a, the bozo bell might have to ring for you. So it sounds to me like. No, no, like, don't get me wrong. I love DPs. Like, they do a lot of cool stuff. But, like, see, I would need someone to, like, edit out that little, like, cough. Like, I had a little thing in my throat. And Mm -hmm. the person who might do that would be, like, an editor. Right. And speaking of that, I think, oh, there's another, I think next week, editor, we're going to have, what's the date? Remind me, we're having an editor on our show. Yes. Yeah. Who, We're having. Who is it, and for what movie? I'm so glad that you asked. Uh, we're having editor Michael Andrews. Let's go. Um, for um, across the Spider Verse, Spider Man across the Spider Verse, one of my favorite movies again of last year. Um, another guy who was super cool, uh, really willing to talk with us despite our sort of inherent and obvious um, doofishness. Wasn't he? Didn't he say not to our own horn? But I remember being happy because at the end, wasn't he like this was a well conducted interview? Yes, and and he also was nice enough to send an email afterwards to me, um, yeah. saying great time. And uh, you know, if, if for someone to lie so lovingly for us, make us feel better like that, you know, it's yes. a great thing. When Parth told me like twenty four hours before the interview, he was nice enough to tell me about this one. Um, and okay. he said that we were interviewing the editor of, of Across the Spider-Verse. I thought, that's about the most complicated movie one person could be tasked with editing in this lifetime. Yes. So um, Michael Andrews was a cool, qualified person to come on our little program. You hear? Yeah. And this program, where can they hear it, Trent? <clears throat> so, I mean, you're already listening to this. 
Right. So it's a little. So presumably like, you already know. It's like, a little like chicken or the egg thing. Um, but let's just say you're hearing this without a streaming platform. But then you're going to want to go ahead and go to like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, really wherever you get your podcasts. Like where Truly. Any, any relevant spot, we're going to try to be there. So, and if you're on a spot that you consider relevant and we're not there, let us know. Let us know. And, and where you can Where can let they us, let us know? Exactly. <clears throat> Apart from building towards that. And where you Sorry can let us that. know is our Instagram or our Twitter. Um, our two social medias. That's more than enough if you ask me. I heard someone yeah. say if a person has more than two Instagram accounts, they've got something a little, they're a little out of whack. Well... Uh, that bodes well for me. Um, yeah. No. Um, oh wait, more than two? Yeah, I feel like as a creative person, it's like a little complicated, because like, we have one for the pod, who got the personal, yeah. and then I have one for like, the room, so that's like, my third. Yeah. But I feel like that's not that inherently problematic. It's not like I have a Finsta, like I used to have, like. Yeah. Yeah, go try to, to delete that shit. Because believe it or not, when I was like 16, I wasn't like saying anything that smart. No. Really? No, no. I was just saying like stupid stuff. Trent, we barely say smart stuff now. Yeah. So imagine like, I mean, G. Willikers seven years ago. G. Willikers. Like that. Yeah. Um, All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening. Um, Thank you, Shabia Kirchner. And check us out next week for editor Michael Andrews on Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Bye, guys.